Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. so good to see so many faces around here. I just love so many faces I absolutely adore and love, and it's just great to be back here with you again. There's lots of faces I don't know, um, so you might not get my sense of humour. Um, so we'll just have to just have to roll with it. When other people laugh, just maybe join along with them. Um, I'm going to get my wife, who's better at words than me, to come up and read um, the scripture. So if you just turn to James 2, we're going to be looking at the first half of that chapter, um, chapter uh, verses 1 to 13. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favour some people over others? For example... Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewellery, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said, you must not commit adultery, also said, you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Um, I, probably the first thing I want to say is that um, I, I've got a bit of a pastoral heart. And um, th- this message is written to a, a particular group of people. It's, I, th- I know you've had some background um, stuff going on, but this is written to, to Jewish, the di- Jewish diaspora who um, spread out, no doubt, from Jerusalem and out into the, the wider area around, um, around Jerusalem and around uh, Israel. And they were suffering. Um, they were having a hard time and um, they were experiencing all sorts of trials. And so this is a message for those people. And um, that might be you or it might not be you. And there are some points I'm going to flesh out of today that you need to hear. Um, there are points, there might be points that are, are really convicting for you, but there are other points that you just need to let them fly on by because it's not you that I'm speaking to or the or scripture speaking to as I flesh this out. Okay. And so James is a, is a reasonably hard hitting book. It's got a number of warnings and, um, I I just I just put that little pastoral comment out there beforehand is I want you to take what the spirit brings you today. 
I don't want you to take what the Spirit wants you to, to move on. Okay? So um, thank you, Kelly, um, for, for reading. Um, I'm going to start off with this, this first section here. I'm just going to work through the text, and I'm going to make a few applications, okay, if I've got time. So the first one here, can you move on to the one that's got, like, yellow? I think I highlighted some ones. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So um, I probably wanted to start off by, this is the New Living Translation, which is a great translation. It's a really readable translation. But a lot of the other translations are a bit more direct in terms of what they're saying here. The NIV um, states probably a little bit more directly, my brothers and sisters, believers and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. It's a commandment. Okay? So the what in this passage is don't show partiality or favoritism. Don't favor one over another. Don't discriminate. Don't do it. Don't think about it. Don't be racist. Don't be sexist. Don't be nationalist. Don't be wokest. That's a word I made up. I don't even know if it exists. Don't let political differences cause you to dishonor others. And honor all, especially the poor. We kind of tend to naturally drift towards people just a little bit like us. Or towards those we might just, I don't know, want to impress a little bit. Yeah? Those we deem just a little bit higher up the pecking order, and that might enhance our street cred. Um, some of you might not be aware, but you've got street cred. Um, or they might even offer us some perk. Okay? And the simple what is don't do it. Don't show favoritism. Now, my wife would tell you that sometimes I like to break the rules a little bit. And we'll naturally respond, okay? But surely as Christians, we live by grace and we walk in the freedom of the Spirit. His commandments are written on our hearts. We don't need to listen to commandments. Yes, and... Jesus gives us a commandments, and his spirit leads us in accordance with those commandments. Now, that's a simple what. Don't favor one over another. Don't do it. But there's a key point here, and every parent knows this point well, is that every command and every every warning from a parent is actually an invitation. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to something better. Now, we all know this. Here's a situation. Uh, Muddy boots, muddy boots, okay? Um, Take off your muddy boots before you come into the house has been maybe heard once or twice in my household and usually from me. Um, and my natural response is because I said so when someone says why. Because I said so. And that's enough because I'm a parent and I'm the king of my household. 
But I don't want my kids to just follow rules for the sake of it. It can lead to Pharisaism and other. And I want them to mature. I want them to understand it so that when they're a parent, they don't just repeat what I say, but they actually understand why. So I'd often say, you're making a mess that will upset my wife, which will in turn upset me, which will ultimately upset you and require your blood, sweat, and tears to clean the place up. It's an invitation to something better, to having happy parents in that circumstance, a happy mother and a happy father, and a house where those who look after the house, who clean it and care for the, for the household, will be respected. Their efforts are respected. The housekeeper is honored. And that's good. So every command is an invitation to something better. And I want you to hear that today as we work through this. Let's move on to the next one. We've done the what. Now we're going to go into the why. The why here, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? But you dishonor the poor. The reason why we don't show favoritism is because it dishonors your brothers and sisters and it dishonors God. Though posed as a hypothetical situation, it likely responds to actual reports received by James. Displaced Jews, as I said before, Jewish Christians would have been poor and lacking influence, having left property and family behind. On top of that, they would have been persecuted by the likes of Saul of Tarsus for disrupting the religious and social order. All in all, I imagine at times things were pretty tough and desperate. But by providing paid employment or possibly a house to rent, rich people had the power to improve their physical conditions. Some believers were cozying up to the wealthy to try and gain their favoritism and improve their situation in life. But it was their rich who were belittling their brothers and sisters and mocking their God. By showing favoritism, they were picking their team. By showing favoritism, they were picking their team. Now, I'm sure you guys have got good memories, and you probably remember a time back in the good old days before we were like politically correct and worried about people's feelings. Where every time you wanted to play a game at lunchtime, what did you do? You picked your two captains. You picked your two people that were the, the best at that game. And then what happened? They played paper, scissors, rock to see who got to choose first. And then the person who chose first would choose, and then the other captain would choose. And they would keep on choosing, 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 until I was chosen. (laughs) (laughs) It's a judgmental process. The captains would invariably choose based on ability, but the reality is also popularity. They didn't want to have the wrath of their friends who, for not picking them. 
These Jews were trying to pick teams. Or perhaps more accurately, they were trying to get themselves picked on what they thought was the winning team. But they were angling for the wrong team because they had forgotten what game they were playing. They were making judgments with misguided and evil motives. Kind of like referees, but working for the wrong game. I remember um, when I was a little bit older, I was playing rugby in a very, very competitive um, under 85 kg Auckland comp. Everyone was lean and fast, and you had to really commit to your tackles or you'd be punished. I remember at the end of most games, I felt I'd actually had a car crash, crash just a few weeks earlier, and I was quite surprised that um, a car crash was much more comfortable than a game of rugby. Um, you used to hurt after those games. At the same time, I had some friends from school who were keen to keep in contact with each other, and they asked me to come along and play mixed indoor netball for a social team they were putting together. They knew that I knew how to play rugby, but I was terrible at netball <laughs> because it was played on, on different terrain with different rules and using different tactics and skills. During my first game, I was penalized and reprimanded by the ref for, ref for flattening people. Multiple times, completely unintentional, of course. Even more embarrassingly, I'm pretty sure most of them were girls. I would not have chosen me for that team. In the same way, Jesus picks his team. We need to understand that Jesus is our star player. And he is the one that chooses just like a rugby player in a netball game, someone who succeeds in the world might not be successful in the kingdom of God and vice versa. The world has very different rules and tactics to the kingdom of God. One key attribute of the kingdom of God is humility. Jesus outlines the values of his kingdom um, his selection criteria for choosing his team in, in what we call the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And you can read in Matthew 5, 3, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. Paul reinforces the same principle in a letter. Oops, I didn't want to edit it. Sorry. And his first letter to the church of Corinth. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who might think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one 
can ever boast in the presence of God. When we show partiality, we dishonor God, and we demonstrate that we do not understand the game that we are playing. We don't, we don't know, or maybe we've forgotten, the king we are serving, and we don't get the gospel. We can understand the values, sorry, we can't understand the values of the kingdom as we don't understand the values of the king. We are not able to function in our role as ambassadors of the king. We are children of God. Uh, Sorry, if we are children of God, we've forgotten who we are. Like a man who looks in a mirror and walks away forgetting who he is. We are judging as our own many gods, judging with the wrong motives. It's anti-gospel. Every commandment, remember, is an invitation. I think we can go on to the next slide now. But you dishonor the poor. Sorry, which one are we at? Maybe we have to go back one. Where are we? I think it's one back from here. Okay. Yeah, this is the right one. The rich were keen to preserve the status quo of their system that privileged them. They maintained their worldly privilege. The rich in those days would make good use of law courts, and they were always tipped in their favor, favor of the social elites and the wealthy, to undermine the progress of the poor. A while ago, I read a book before I was a Christian called, by a guy called Robert Kiyosaki. He, it's a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And in that book, he reminded me, and I still remember to this day, that poor people make a good, cheap, secure labor force. By the values of Jesus Christ, rather than worldly advice from the likes of Monopoly or Robert Kiyosaki, We need to be reorientated. We need to be orientated away from greed, and we need to be orientated towards the kingdom of God. Can we move on to the next one? Okay, we're talking about the royal law now. This is love your neighbor as yourself, or as Jesus, when he summarized the Ten Commandments, said, love the Lord God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. This reflects the fact that God made all of us in his image. And we are handcrafted by God who has patterned mankind after himself. When we dishonor others, we also dishonor God because we are God's handiwork. And God himself has made us like him. If you break this one law, this royal law that we see up here, you're guilty of breaking all the laws. And the wages of sin are death. But remember, every command is an invitation. Every warning is an invitation. So the next slide. We're moving on to this next section here, which looks at something called the law of liberty that sets us free. Now, this is a play on words that uh, J. 
James has used here. And Paul has used a similar play in words in Romans as well. Because it's a law, but it's not a law. They're contrasting terms. And quite simply put, the law of liberty is Jesus himself. All that he is, all that he has achieved, and all that he will achieve. We've all sinned and rightfully stand condemned before God. And the sentence of sin is death. But no one but Jesus has ever fully obeyed the law of God. And he, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross redeemed from the curse of the law all who trust in him by faith. That's Galatians 3.10-14. Believers have been justified, declared righteous by his grace. Romans three twenty four to twenty eight, and are no longer under condemnation. Romans eight one. All who have trusted in Christ have received the Holy Spirit. Romans eight nine, and His power in us that gives us the ability to please God. Galatians five thirteen to sixteen. Christ's perfect sacrifice brings release from the eternal death sentence that the law brings upon all sinners. And it gives believers the ability to please God as we put off the works of the flesh, Colossians 3, 1 to 9, and put on love, Colossians 3, 12 to 17. We walk in or by the Spirit day by day, and it is the Spirit's filling and control Galatians five sixteen to 26, that we walk in love and please our heavenly Father. Our love for other, others proves the reality of our faith. 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Let us love one another, even as he has loved us. 1 John 4 to 19. This is... God's message to us. This is his message of love to us. This is his message, the rules of his kingdom. Every command and every warning is an invitation. And this is your invitation. The how. We're on to the how now. How do we avoid partiality or favoritism, we show mercy. Mercy is loving and showing forgiveness towards someone whom it is within your power to hurt or punish. These poor believers or these poor visitors, we don't even know if they were um, believers or not, were entering a church service and getting told to sit on the floor. They were getting shamed They were getting hurt. Once again, James draws from Jesus' teaching on the mount. Matthew 5, 7. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We will all be judged, but mercy awaits those who are merciful. Oh, 
How are we going for time? I'm going to move on to a few applications here. What does it mean for us as we look at this? And once again, remember my pastoral heart is there are some people that are very deeply aware of their own shortcomings. They're at different places in their faith journey. And I want you to hear the right thing. My first question for you guys is what game are you playing? There might be some here who have forgotten what game they are playing. Or as Paul writes in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve God, what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Sometimes living sacrifices can crawl off the altar. The invitation here is to allow God to shape our imaginings our understandings, and our longings. Be careful of the sage advice that you might find in the world from either the game of Monopoly or the writers such as Robert Kiyosaki. Mark Twain writes, and I love this, that you can't trust your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. You can't trust your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. We need our imagination to be refocused by Jesus, to be shaped by the gospel of the kingdom of God rather than the values of this world. We need to be shaped by Jesus rather than worldly advice. Point two. Is mercy your thing? My question to you all is who's someone that you spend time with that adds nothing to your bank balance, social status, or power? Who gets the invitation to your home? Who is fed at your table? Where do the poor, the awkward, the stinky, the needy fit into your life? How do you care for the orphans and the widows? Do you have eyes to see the lonely and lost? You guys come here Sunday after Sunday. Who has an eye out? For the new face? Who has eyes out for the downcast? It can be a challenging can be a challenging space for many to enter this place, but we want this place to be a place of mercy and grace. My challenge for you is that Jesus is asking us to have our eyes open, not to I know we've all got friends, 
And as I look out here, I just long to spend time with heaps of you because I know you so well. But do we have our eyes open to the lost, to the lonely, to the downcast, to those who've got bad fashion sense? Every warning and every command is an invitation to something better. Henry Nouwen, someone... Some of you would have heard of Henry Nouwen. He's an amazing um, theologian, and he's written probably the best book I recommend it to all of you. If there's one book on leadership that you should ever read, you should read In the Name of Jesus. It is sensational. And uh, in that book, you'll hear a bit more about his life, but he was one of the leading academics at the end of last century. He worked at Notre Dame, Harvard, and Yale. And... He progressed in his career from these institutions to become the pastor at daybreak in the Liache community for the mentally mentally handicapped in Toronto. He went from being amongst the elite. He went from hanging out and leading and guiding the best of the best. And he found himself in so many ways, working and serving with handicapped people in Toronto. In that book, I encourage you to read it, there are many funny and amusing situations that he talks about, and it's worthwhile worthwhile going into it. I guess the challenge for us all is do we have space in our life for those that need mercy, for the widows and for the orphans, For those with ankle bracelets on their ankles, and I'm not talking about the funky ones. I'm talking about the ones that you have to wrap in tinfoil if you want to have any freedom. Do we have space for people like that? Do we have space for those who are in prison? Now, we can't do all things to all people, and we've got to be faithful to where God has placed us and what he's calling us to. But do we have these people in our lives? I'm not going to read it now because we're running short on time. But you'll find a challenge from Jesus. And I encourage you to go, and we probably don't need it. I've been straightforward enough as it is. You can read in, in about the, the sheep and the goats and how, in fact, when we care for these people, we are actually caring for Jesus himself. When we care for the needy, and the thirsty, the captives, the strangers, the naked. When we care for them and we clothe them and we feed them and we, we nurse them and we humor them, we are actually doing it for Jesus himself. And once again, the warning is to show mercy because we hope to one day be shown mercy. Finally, do I have time? One minute. Lastly, I don't know all of you here in this room. My one big passion and the question I want to ask you, if you're new here or you're visiting or you're new to Christianity, well, maybe, maybe you've grown up in a Christian household and you're yet to respond to Jesus in your own life.
my question is, have you been picked for Jesus' team? Has he tapped you on the shoulder? Can you hear him right now tapping on your shoulder, saying, come with me? My challenge to you is to respond. The invitation is there. The welcome is there. God's kingdom is waiting, and he wants you part of it. The promise is Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. It is only by God's grace and his mercy that you have been saved. If that's you, I just encourage you to not let this day slip by. If this is for you, please, at the end of the service, come up, speak to me, speak to your neighbor, speak to anyone, but just share that God is working on your heart, that he is inviting you. Every command, every warning is an invitation. The invitation is for you. Finally, guys, as I said, there's a number of three, three points there that I, that I left you. And my challenge to you is that they're not for everyone. I don't want you to be burdened. I want you to be liberated. I want you to know the freedom of the gospel, the power of the spirit that will enable you to follow God's commands. Every warning is an invitation. Every command is an invitation.